Ellie Meekly to you. Ellie Meekly to you. Ellie Meekly to everyone. Ellie Meekly to you. No, you. 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 Come on. Can you believe it's been a year already? We have 12 episodes. We have two bonus episodes. We have a crossover episode. Yeah, and the Jurassic World trailer's out. Uh, that's that's off topic. Yeah, they feed the big thing a I mean, shark. Why don't... Okay, listen. Why don't we just do the other intro we were talking about, all right? You, you got that one? You remember it? Yeah, all, okay. All let's, right. let's do that one. All right. We're here at Thanksgiving dinner. We have our turkey. We have our yams. But most importantly, we're here to give thanks. I'm thankful that we've been able to do this consistently for a year. It's quite an accomplishment. Daniel, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful that the Jurassic World trailer is out. The intros are supposed to be about what we're going to be talking about. Okay, I know you're excited. Let's just try to stay focused. You know what? Okay, forget it. Let's let's just do the other intro. You remember it? You know, you know that one, right? All right. Okay, yeah. okay. Here we All go. Right. Boy, that was some bumpy ride in the time machine, am I right? Don't say anything. But here we are in the year 1000 BC, and I'm lucky enough to be talking to one of the original natives of the Los Angeles area. Here it is for the first time, a first-hand account of Los Angeles from a person of the first civilization. Here before Hollywood, here before even the Dodgers. Sir, tell me, what is it like to live in a world so untouched by European civilization? It's pretty good. The air's clean. We got to see the Jurassic World trailer. What are you thinking? You need to stay on topic. Yeah, but what if we did a whole Jurassic World intro? Like, what's the matter, kid? You never heard a podcast before, right? No, pull yourself together. <clears throat> Hello. Welcome to episode 12 of Ally Meekly, the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's See, over. <laughs> the funny part's over. We're going to be talking about um, pre-concrete Los Angeles. Such a time Can ever existed. It? Can you believe it? Before even traffic. Before <laughs> even the Dodgers. <laughs> I'm going to be covering the original people of Los Angeles. In particular, one tribe that was uh, in our area. I'm going to cover what happened to that tribe <laughs> once things started changing in the area. It goes good, right? It's good for them. Yeah. Sure. Them meaning whites, right? <laughs> Yeah. They were like bronze colored, then they got white, then they got real white. Like we addressed earlier, this is also our anniversary episode. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> the Beatles. Thank you. <laughs> I, I hope not. We can't pay for that. We're going to have to pay Michael Jackson. <laughs> We've been doing this for a year monthly and our listeners are growing. We're very happy to have you aboard. They're huge. We're we're happy. We're not. The loss of Huel Hauser has opened up a window for people like us <laughs> to do what we're doing. Yet again, we steal a dead man's job. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's illegal to take his shoes. Someday Prop 67 will get that repealed. <laughs> Anywho, I'm going to be starting us off. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. The sun rises on a sleepy Pueblo town. <laughs> the first resident of the region that would 100,000 years later be known as Los Angeles walked around these lonely non-streets looking for a good time. His name was Smilodon. His name was Smilodon, <laughs> which is uh, the Greek words for knife and tooth. An old knife teeth was a saber-toothed tiger with foot-long fangs and a crushing jaw who preyed on vegetarians and vegans alike. <laughs> Specifically, mastodons, sloths, camels, which apparently we had. Giant- Production assistants. <laughs> <laughs> They're just so tender. Not their egos. <laughs> There's also giant bisons. There was bears of the Pleistocene age. The remains of the Smilodon have been found in locations around Hollywood, Sunset, Wilshire Boulevard. Specifically, the sticky patch of doom we now know as the Labrador 
Victoria tar pits, <laughs> where many an animal would come drink or attack other drinkers of what they thought was dark water. Dummies. Dummies. <laughs> Old knife teeth and other fun creatures of that age died off soon after the Mastodon went extinct, most likely after a severe climate change, which, you know, doesn't happen. No. Climate change? No, it doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Thousands of years pass by, and after long gaps of time where nothing happens, man happens. <laughs> man happens all over the place. Manhattan? Man- <laughs> Manhattans. <laughs> Manhattans all over the place. <laughs> Not many people know, but Manhattan was originally in Los Angeles. <laughs> Manhattan about town. They say <laughs> Sex man- in the tar pit, <laughs> which is how man- so many of them were lost. <laughs> It'll St- be hot, baby. <laughs> it's sticky in like two different ways. Maybe three. They say man came over from Asia with his dog and his longbow from either an ice bridge or a strip of land that no longer exists between Siberia and Alaska, known as a Bering Strait, which is just a theory, but I'm going to go ahead and confirm it and say it's true. And I say it, I'm going to tell you I walked it. Although early man didn't come straight to California, what was to become the original people of Los Angeles were said to have drifted down from the Owens Valley by way of the Cajon Pass into what is today San Bernardino. Oh. oh, which is not necessarily Los Angeles, but it's close no, enough it's for pre-dawn I wanna, man. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> for by pre-dawn man standards, it's pretty Los mm, Angeles. There wasn't any freeways. They had a they had to walk that sucker. What? A land before freeways. Land before freeways. <laughs> Isn't it so sad when the freeway's mom dies and this freeway has to go on without her? My favorite character was Carpool. <laughs> Many also say a large portion of that population came from the region we now know as Nevada, and even earlier from farther east keeping a good distance from more warlike tribes. There's going to be so much of the phrase what we now know as in this episode. It feels dumb calling it, oh yeah, they came from Nevada. You know that slanted piece of land right there? Isn't it weird that somebody bought a land that's so slanted, like the edge of California and Nevada, it's through, uh, what is it, Mojave Desert? Well, it. Uh, I mean, it's not like a slide. <laughs> the country isn't vertical. <laughs> isn't it like Connect Four? It's not like Connect Four? This migrating and moving around probably took centuries before they settled anywhere, but it's said they arrived to the alley basin about 7,000 years ago. Long time ago. Those are old people. Older than you? Older than mm. me, even. Mm, maybe. Older than you. I don't know. Some of them. It's my birthday. <laughs> it's both of our birthdays. <laughs> we got our birthdays legally changed to this day. <laughs> to podcast day. <laughs> they rolled their eyes, but they had to do it. It's Prop 66. <laughs> when were you born? LA Public Library. <laughs> I'm bank robbery years old now. <laughs> <laughs> to 11 years old. Okay, let's talk about the people that settled here. Mm-hmm. It's hard to peg a name. Emphasis on settled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could have had San Bernardino. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to peg a name down to the original people of Los Angeles. This is due to the cultural assimilation of the Spanish and the Mexican population that overwrought these people, as you will get into. Mm-hmm. They were called Gabrielenos by those who lived in the same time as them, but this term was used as after the mission of San Gabriel was established, mm-hmm. so it's disrespectful, <laughs> and I'll avoid it as much as I can. <laughs> Another term thrown around is uh, Tongva, which Mm -hmm. is something you're going to see more frequently when you do research on this. It was sort of settled upon, I think, in the 90s. It started to regrow. From a historical note, there's a gentleman named J.P. Harrington, and we learned from him that what Tongva means where the people used to grind their seed on the rocks, which might be referencing acorns because they were big on acorn processing. Mm -hmm. I once ate acorn mash. Acorn on the cob. Acorn bread. All night. Um, It is also... uh, You're a nut. (laughs) My favorite part of that was the long silence before you came to that. That was final draft. I went through so many different vegetables, so many different processes of weaving baskets before I decided on the obvious. It was pretty obvious. It was like your first choice. You're like, ah, it can't be that good. And then you went through everything else. Like, I'll give him the first one. Tongva has also been interpreted as being people of the earth. I also read that Tongva was an Anglo bastardization of the village name Tovis Kangna. So I'm probably not going to use that. I don't see it. 
You and I attended a meetup of the historical societies mm-hmm. at Avera Street. A gathering of the minds. A gathering of the minds. gathering of free flyers and uh, candy. <laughs> it was the gathering of the pens. <laughs> and when we were there, we stopped by a booth for the Gabrieleno Band of Mission Indians, and they were handing out information sheet that said, we are not Tongva. <laughs> the descendants of the original people of Los Angeles refer to themselves and their ancestors as the Kich, K-I-Z-H. Yeah. With other spellings and pronunciation, including uh, K-I-J, Kij, and uh, Kichereno. And, and Q-U-I-C-H-E. Oh, that's offensive. <laughs> that's offensive. That's one. Yeah, there you go. Tally marks. <laughs> and the other one was Kichereno, which you'll see again. I say it with a rolling R because uh, I, I'm overcompensating for my lack of Hispanicness. Uh, <laughs> Could you keep it? I mean, keep it to a minimum, though, because <laughs> we're trying to get new listeners. <laughs> People don't want to tune in to hear... Uh, Mario Lopez, <laughs> the most Hispanic man. Mario Lopez was our new listener. We just <laughs> suck it, Slater. Anyways, back to our topic. <laughs> yeah. Jurassic World. Quiche means houses. It says that they were identified as the people of the Willow Branch Tool and Brush Houses. That's how they were identified. So that's why they go by this name. Okay. So that's some explanation on the name. I've also read the original people of Los Angeles being referred to as Yangna. And at other instances, I heard that that was a, the name of a village. Yangna. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yangna, as a village, is located where City Hall is today, they said. Like mm-hmm. downtown LA. You know, right off the 110-101 freeway, which was there at the time. I mentioned before how a cultural assimilation was to blame for there being no definitive tribe name. But another factor in that matter was the fact that the Quiche had no written language. Because they were they were uh, oral they had an oral tradition, but they've discovered many notebooks and diaries from Europeans of the day, and that's what these people had identified as Kichur Kichureno is respectful. Okay, so I'm gonna go. I'll, f- I'll be I'll, going for I'll that. Try. I'm going to try to avoid uh, Gabriel Leno and Tongva, which I, I will. Kish is a term I'll use sparsely because I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I don't want my time in here riddled with goofy mispronunciations, so. <laughs> I'll, I'll be calling them the original people of Los Angeles just to spare myself some embarrassment. But not only, they weren't just the original people of Los Angeles. Their area spread also to northern Orange County as well as San Fernando Valley. Well, that is Los Angeles, so... Oh, boy. Uh, Maybe I haven't been part of this podcast this entire time. <laughs> the remains of the quiche have been found in about 40 county locations, areas like Pasadena, Long Beach, Encino, West LA, Costa Mesa, Fullerton, Santa Ana, Seal Beach, and Santa Catalina Island, Catalina. Yep. Their small villages were scattered throughout the Alley Basin, what would be known as the Alley River. They lived along that and near the ocean, along the waterways and marshes of the coast as well. The central point, however, for the quiche was what is now known to us as the San Gabriel Valley, which is east. I'm pointing and you can't see me. Their boundaries were actually pretty vast. Southward, it went to Laguna Beach, specifically Aliso Creek. San Gabriel Mountains on the east, the westward boundary stopped at the Pacific Ocean and included <laughs> Catalina, Ca- Channel Islands, San-, San Clemente, what? Why didn't they keep spreading west? Just keep going. <laughs> Just keep going. What is that collection of boats out in the middle of the ocean? Oh, that's a tribe. Don't sleep them They went as far north as Ventura and some parts of Santa Barbara. And I've also read that they went as far as uh, east as Redlands. There's a lot of information out there. A lot of the problems I had doing this research is there's just so much information, and I'm trying yeah, to collect it So go look it, it up yourselves. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a lot out there. So if I'm wrong, like like we should have announced at the beginning, hey, if we're wrong about this, we need no disrespect. Go ahead and email us the corrections, and we'll do a bonus episode and correct ourselves. Feel free to subpoena Feel us. <laughs> Emphasis on subpoena. Out of respect, I'm going to name some of the village in the San Gabriel Valley. The old villages. I can't really figure out where they were exactly. I don't know which village is where. I just want to name some of the villages because, you know, it's fun. Asus Anga is one of them. Alupkangna, Akuagna, Haha Mongna, Tobingna, and Win Ingna. You pronounced all of those wrong. I, I'm pretty sure I did. 
I broke them down. You haven't been going to the linguistic classes that I signed us up for leading up to this episode. It's just, I can't do oral presentations. <laughs> These areas would become known to us as Santa Anita, Santa Fe Springs, Pomona, La Puente, El Monte, and Azusa. There are quiche words that still linger in Los Angeles, mostly place names. Satakoy is a quiche word, Pacoima, Cucamonga, Azusa, Coenga, and Malibu. All quiche words. The boo. The boo. Boo. There are 25 to 31 known sites believed to have been Keech villages, each having had as many as 400 to 500 huts. They inhabited the alley area for thousands of years before the coming of Europeans. It's kind of strange. I've read the population of the Keech so differently. Some readings say it's like from 1,000 to 10,000. Other books say 5,000 to 10,000 at any given time. I can't really get a good hold on it. Almost as if uh, their numbers were purposely tried to be forgotten. And <laughs> Interesting. I hope you get to that. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. No, 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 no. I've also read somewhere that uh, they hardly numbered between 300 and 500, but I'm starting to think that they meant villages, like each village had 300, There were definitely more than 500 of them, yeah. Culturally, they were of the Shoshonean background and linguistically of the Udo Aztec. I live off of Shoshone. You do do live. That's how I knew, though. That's how I knew it. I knew I kept coming across a word. I guess I'm like one thirty second Native American. And that qualifies me to do this research here, to talk with authority on the matter. <laughs> Linguistically, they were of the Yudo Aztecian family, although I've also read they spoke with a Shoshonean dialect, so I don't really know which one to believe. The Shoshone tribes were spread throughout what later was divided into Wyoming, Nevada, Utah, and Idaho, and were around since about 12,000 BC, so they all they said they migrated south, and that's what became the Quiche. The Quiche never farmed, but they were hunter and gatherers, hustlers, if you ask me. <laughs> they relied on deer, rabbits, quail, ducks, geese, cranes, gophers, Rats, gross. Squirrels. That's where they came from. The plague. Reptile, <laughs> rep, reptiles. 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 Well, <laughs> my name is Salamander, and I'm here to say. You could have picked a much shorter name than Salamander. <laughs> the lizard wizard. The lizard wizard of the quiche. They chased small game and wore almost no clothes, like foot protection, and maybe that was it. Like headwear and foot protection. <laughs> What else do you need? Sign, sign me up. <laughs> the Quiche tribe members who are out uh, closer to the ocean eat clams and other tide pool fish. Most of the weapons. And hot dog on a stick. Hot dog on a stick because it was out there at the time. And then they got cheese on a stick like, this isn't, this isn't what we send <laughs> This isn't what we want. Where's the beef? Which is what an uh, original phrase. There is a traditional no. war cry. <laughs> That's number two. Most of the weapons and medical remedies were furnished from trees and plant life growing in the chaparral shrublands, which grows all over California. In those areas, you could find greasewood, scrub oak, summic sage, elderberry, and poison oak. Itchy. Let's talk acorns a little bit. They lived off of live oak trees, which produced acorns. This is something that is presented in all the readings about their culture. They are known for their reliance on acorns. Acorn processing represents a sophisticated adaptation to the environment, since the oak seed in its natural state contains lethal tannin, which is removed by the process of leaching and boiling, which they must have figured out after so many dead bodies. So this is taken from a website to describe the process for me. The acorns were dried, cracked open, and peeled, and the acorn meat, chemeshkwar, would be pounded into a fine meal, I'm doing quotation marks because that's what the website said. <laughs> then a long leaching process would eliminate the toxic tannin and prepare the ground leached meal for the cooking process, which produced acorn porridge called we wish. Or the meal... Yeah, they do. <laughs> oh. That's two. That's three. Or uh, the meal could be baked into small bread cakes called peshkak. I'm reading these words exactly like they're written. I'll repeat that. I'm reading these words exactly like they're written. I said that two times because I want to give everyone laughing an extra moment to wrap it up. Thank Say you. it again. Stupid. Oak trees gave up really nice things. You could use it to treat eye infections. If you took the oak gall, dried it, and ground it into a fine powder, which was really nice. They had medicine men on staff, so they could do stuff like that. <laughs> they weren't farmers, but tribe members still worked hard during harvest season, gathering resources and stuff. They didn't just sit, you know, work and eat. 
like you and me, they enjoyed their day off. Fun. We don't work. <laughs> they enjoyed day off fun too. Archery practice. They played around with cat's cradle. They had guessing games and uh, hoop and pole sports. Some of which they gambled on. I'll bet you six acorns he can't hoop the pole. Oh yeah, I'll see your six acorns and I'll raise you eight. Was a common conversation. That's number four. Yeah, put four down. <laughs> the offensive things that we've been saying. Gambling it had to come up because acorns were also currency. I didn't brought, forgot to bring that up. Was it get, really? Uh, I read that somewhere. I read a lot of things. The men put together plank boats and rafts and floated over to Catalina and San Nicolas Islands. The women put together baskets, which you can see at the Southwest Museum. They have some of them. They carved uh, steatite teeds and pipes. What? Steatite. It's a, it's a it's a stone, like soap. It's a form of soapstone. I don't know what a soapstone is. I remember I wikipedia like three use, things and I came back. I used dove. You mean you don't scrub yourself with a rock? You seriously, you don't put soap on a rock and scrub your body with it? <laughs> I've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> they created their own religious rituals and societies, one involving gym some weed. I like where this is going. Uh, let me let me read. Prop 68 is legalized <laughs> gym some weed. We were in a gym some weed den, hanging out one day. Let me read some of the things that it causes because I looked it up because I was curious. It causes dry mouth, dilated pupils, high temperature but reduced sweating, in parentheses, and blurred vision. That sounds great. Psychological effects include confusion, euphoria, and delirium, my three favorite. <laughs> Symptoms include incoherent speech, I must be on gyms and weed, <laughs> impaired coordination, rapid heartbeat, and dry, flushed, or hot skid. In extreme cases, users can experience seizures, intense visual or auditory hallucinations, or cardiac arrest. All without so how hospitals. many acorns for a bag? <laughs> I had to beat my mother over the head to get a bag bag of acorns just to get a little gym some weed. The original people of Los Angeles worshipped their own powerful god. Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> Chinich Nietzsche, which seems to have entered their social tales during the mission era, presumably to punch the Catholic god in the face. <laughs> yeah, then, he's a lot stronger than god also. <laughs> he's super muscles. I've also read the name as Quarwar. That's another name that came up. Quarwar. Quarwar. Q-U-A-O-R. Quarwar. That's okay. another name for, for Chinichni. Which, Chinichni. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I haven't understood 75% of what you've said to me so far. You wouldn't What's have. an acorn? You wouldn't have been able to survive. You wouldn't have dances with wolves or anything like that. <laughs> I would have been a little big man. <laughs> Mark that down as two. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at seven offensive things and counting. I found the most simplified version of Quarwar online. I'll, I'll, I'll read what they put together. According to Keech mythology, Quarwar sings and dances the world and other deities into existence. Hmm. Like in most other creation myths, at first there was chaos. Then along came Quarwar. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> he was sorrowed by the emptiness in existence and began to dance, whirl, and twirl all about why he sang the song of creation, God of the Sky, Waywot, was first to be formed of the creation melody. Next came Chihuit, who became goddess of the earth. These two new deities joined in the dance and created the sun and the moon, Tamit and Moor, respectively. Together, these five sang and danced everything else into existence, animals, plants, people, and other gods as well. His work finished, Quawar faded into obscurity, perhaps returned to wherever he came from originally. The Quiche didn't believe in evil spirits or any concept of hell or the devil until the Spanish missionaries introduced these ideas to their cultures. You'll get to that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Porpoises and Alf. Keep your toes off my carpet. Uh, I don't know if that's the phrase, but it is now. Put that on a sticker. The dog don't hunt. <laughs> it can't hunt. Porpoises and owls were highly esteemed and were hands off. It was never porpoise or owl season. You don't kill them. There was a dead owl in my backyard. Not <laughs> was it really? Not long ago. A huge dead owl. Rats. Um, the rats are fighting back because there's rats in your backyard. That's true. But Plague rats. You know, owl beats rats. It's uh, a numbers game. 
I, I, I didn't know what to do because I knew that uh, some of the tribes like to, they, they want the owl feathers, but it's illegal and they wouldn't kill an owl. So I had this owl, f- I had all these feathers. What, what I'm trying to say is I ate the owl. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. Feathers at all. <laughs> Someone comes knocking the door. Um, yeah, we, we, we uh, we're owl inspectors and we, we thought maybe we're there's two feet sticking out of my mouth listen it's not what you think owl will be damned if i'm gonna it's not an owl it's a bald eagle what did you end up doing i'm curious we uh put it in a bag and threw it in the trash <laughs> what else could we do we called animal control and they said just throw it away really because we didn't know how to contact the a tribe it's Seems pretty easy to me. One eight hundred tribal eight, tribal eight. It's got to fit into the grid. The tribe had religious ceremonies in a circular structure within their village. The structure could only be entered by select males of status in the community and close relatives in the event of funerary ceremonies. Female singers were also allowed. Sounds like a speakeasy. As much reading as I've done, I haven't come across the povukna as much. P o v u u vashvi n g n a. Povugna. I'm going to go ahead and say that wrong. Um, you told me to look into it because they said it was really popular. Here's what I know. I know it's a special place. I believe it was a place of worship for the quiche. I know that it is now known as Rancho Los Alamitos and has been listed twice on the National Register of Historic Places. If any listeners know about this, I'm very interested in it. Uh, isn't it supposed to be like where the world started, according to them? I think it was. I think that it was an, ancest- an ancestral site of the quiche and most likely where the tribe originates. I also read that same thing about the San Gabriel Valley. So it might be like a myth, part of mythology that it starts there in Povugna. No. not true oh my god all that evolution classes i took that was, i wrote a 12 page paper <laughs> discrediting uh, <Quonar laughs> or, <laughs> smearing the good name of darwin and, and quomar i looked it up online i was trying to do a lot of research in books but it doesn't come up that often and uh, i don't know i don't know i want to know more about it's it it's not easy to research the beliefs of a tribe that's been Mostly, mostly <laughs> destroyed. The Kish were a peaceful tribe. Warfare was not frequent for them. Robbery, murder, and incest was rare, which is good. That's Keep that nice. stuff out. To fail to show courage was the height of disgrace among the Kish males. A men would lie on top of red ant hills and have handful of red ants dropped onto their face as a ah, demonstration of courage. God. They also had to deal with whippings and trials by fire. If you failed to endure these trials, you earned a reputation of being a sissy pants. <laughs> Me and you would have been sissy pantses. We would have been the first to be sacrificed. Did they? <laughs> sacrifice the gods wouldn't trade anything for us they they you sacrifice those two here's three years of snow and rain this is what you floods i give you acorns and this is what you give me <laughs> two sissy pants two nancy boys <laughs> they didn't allow incest but they would make exceptions for us <laughs> the keech introduced boys to manhood through fasting hallucinogenic rituals most likely from gypsum weed and trials of endurance an experienced elderly man served to instruct the boys in the legends of the world's origins and their future so they were instructed from older generations because it was an oral tradition to pass these stories and these rituals forward the boys sought visions of their own special animal protector these ceremonies were believed to provide the boys with a spiritual nature which is again like i said boys got to grow up sometime one of the readings that I was doing pointed out that the Quiche were the Southern California tribe that paddled out to sea to greet Spanish explorer Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo upon his arrival onto the shores of Catalina in I, 1542. I can confirm that. And Cabrillo declined their invitation to come ashore and visit, but he eventually gave it. <laughs> well, all right. All right, fine. Is that acorn? <laughs> Is that gym some weed? Oh, I shouldn't. <laughs> there are um, many historical items, and I hear some human remains at LACMA, you know, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, which is right next to the Tarpits, where you could also see the first 
citizen of Los Angeles as well. In 2005, out in Bolsa Chica Wetlands, which is um, south of Seal Beach, construction workers unearthed the remains of 174 Quiche tribe members. When activists demanded that the real estate developers halt construction to properly examine the, the dead and take the scope of the stunning discovery, the vice president of the company said, oh, it's just another obstacle overcome and carried on with the construction anyways. <sighs> And just dumped it in the river, <laughs> dumped all the bones in the river. What happened was, I think they they managed to get pictures out of everything, so they saw what they're. But still, where did the bones go? This is the name of the episode. Where did the bones go? <laughs> Back to Bolsa Chica. It's one of um, Southern California's last wetland habitats, but they keep wanting to build these like multi million dollar houses on there. So it's it's constantly in threat of being wiped out, like it was before. The archaeologists discovered that it was not only a village, but also a regional religious destination that predated the Egyptian pyramids and Imperial China. Wow. Yeah, they say it's really old, like more than 9,000 years of continual living. Along with almost 200 human burials and animal burials, including a dolphin, there was an unusual <laughs> array of artifacts. And a dolphin, too. <laughs> God, what's that book called? Island of the Blue Dolphins. You're the best. When I what's was like... dolphin movie? <laughs> Flipper. Flipper. When I was in the third grade, we were reading Island of the Blue Dolphin, and I wrote a, a giant uh, piece of paper. I wrote so big so my friend from across the room can read, why doesn't she eat the dog? Because there's nothing to eat. And the teacher's like, what are you passing? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> I've never read it. Well... I feel like an idiot. As you should. They also found a lot of cog stones and crystals and other religious instruments. A lot of this, I think, could be found at LACMA, I believe. Um, LACMA or LACMA? They're locking a lot of information. It's like LACMA, but it's like more private. More secured. <laughs> Anyways, the uh, development company completely obliterated the terrain, which, you know, very nice of them. So here's something I didn't know about stuff like this. State law recommends developers have a Native American monitor on site during land grading, mm-hmm. and developers are supposed to halt construction and contact local law enforcement when remains are found. If the bones are determined to be Native American, authorities have to contact a... NAHC, the Native American Heritage Commission, which then selects from a list of most likely descendants. They send somebody out there to see if it's a site that has to be protected or not. That's a that's a law. But here's the thing about that. Even if the monitor is legitimate, uh, developers ultimately don't need to care. They can move on anyways. So I don't know why it's a law or how, how enacted that law is. I've never heard of it before. The uh, Quiche weren't the only tribes here in Southern California. There was another one, the Shumash, which was actually closer to Malibu. Uh, and it ran up the coast the Ran up the coast of Ventura and somewhat in Santa Barbara. The Shumash also refer to themselves as the first people here and claim the Pacific Ocean as their home first. Dibs. <laughs> Liars. <laughs> Liars. Nine. Um, <laughs> they say they have had as many as tens of thousands of, of tribe members at once, which sounds like a lot. I know that they're still, their population is still really big and they also have a casino. I've also read when the missions began to pop up, they had something like 22,000 people in the, in the Chumash community. So I'm kind of, the numbers are all over the place. Yeah. Again, when a genocide happens, there aren't very <laughs> accurate records of what was around before. Like I said, they lived along the coast, so they were seafaring people. Uh, they spent much of their time building small boats and fishing. They're really, really good fishermen. How were they at surfing? Eh. They were gnarly, but they weren't bodacious. <laughs> you know, they didn't hang 10 as much as they could have. <laughs> they actually wrote Wipeout because they weren't good at surfing. <laughs> that was an ancient Chumash tribal <laughs> song. And that's uh, seven. I think we're up to 10 now. They were said to be a more sophisticated craftsman than their uh, quiche neighbors to the south. The Chumash were able to enjoy a more prosperous environment, mostly because they were so good at fishing. They were so used to 
dealing with the ocean and making the best of it. Well, taking it was their, theirs after all. <laughs> their culture was more advanced with basketry, stone cookware, the ability to harvest and store food as well. The villages became much more permanent. The other tribes, the smallest group of the original people of Los Angeles go by uh, Tataviam, but people also, because of the mission of San Fernando, they got the name Fernandenos. Fernandenos? Am I saying it right? Do you know if I'm saying it right? Well, it's got the little thing there. Yeah. Fernandenio. 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 They had a sites of about 20 early Tatum villages in the San Fernando Valley and Santa Clarita, mostly in Santa Clarita. Uh, they were believed to have numbered about 1,000 people and were heavily influenced by the culture of their neighbors, the Shumash and the Quiche. So they were like a little brother tribe. <laughs> but 11, that's rude. <laughs> that's well for rudeness. <laughs> unnecessary roughness. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh my god. You gotta find a I gotta find abrupt it. Yeah. ending to that. Anyways, I'm done. What was the last thing I said? I should just And they were there. Everything's fine. Everything's I'm fine. Done. Goodbye. So to go back in time a little bit, I know I brought us all the way to two thousand and five with the Bolsa Chica wetlands incident. Mm-hmm. But let's take it back to the quiche. Standing Please. on the shore, they see a ship out fifteen forty two. What happens after that? Well tell me. Like you said, back in time once again, we see a civilization. Let's see how civilization can be wiped off the map. (laughs) The long, slow genocide begins in 1542. Like you said, when the Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo, he came, he became the first European to discover California, came from Mexico, landed on Catalina, went over to what is now San Pedro, or what he called the Bay of Smokes, probably because he wanted that gym some weed. Oh boy, I want a little bit of fun today. (laughs) But you know, but in Spanish. Yo quiero (laughs) fiestas. So he was greeted by some tongs. But, well, quiche, 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 quiche. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quiche. spell it the way that I saw that it should be said. Quiche, quiche. quiche. That's that's a very offensive. Word that you just <laughs> I can't believe out. you've been saying that the whole time. We have to re-record. <laughs> so he was uh, greeted by them. They paddled out to see him. It was a friendly meeting. Cabrillo then continued north upstate, and his men returned to Mexico. Told the people of the beautiful land that existed over there. Nobody cared, so they pretended it didn't exist for a hundred years or so. <laughs> However, by the mid 1700s, Russia had set up their own colony in Alaska. Russia, Russia, Ivan Drago. They set up their own colony in Alaska to get fur. But they were getting bolder and bolder, and they kept coming further down south, the Pacific coast, looking for otters. <laughs> Those wily Russians always trying to get more <laughs> That's otters. That's a cartoon right there, isn't it? <laughs> Follow that otter. <laughs> you ought or not. But Tsar! So they got as far as Oregon before the Spanish King Carlos III became afraid of losing California to the Russians, and also the British from the east were starting to expand west out of New England, so he launched three ships from La Paz in Baja, California on Mm -hmm. January 9th, 1769 to go colonize Alta, California. So while these three ships sailed away up north, another party was launched on land headed by Don Gaspar de Portola, who was the first governor of Alta California, Spain knew that it didn't have the resources to match either Russia or Britain in a fight, so the king's plan was three-pronged. Let's hear it. Uno prong. <laughs> That's not even first. No. Uno prong. <laughs> Uno prong. He'd set, <laughs> he'd set up pueblos. Dos prong. Private ranchos. Catorce prong. <laughs> clear understanding of the language. He'd set up missions. By setting up missions in which to indoctrinate the natives with Christianity, he could in a way control them into defending the land in his name if it came to that. Soldiers. Soldiers of fortune. So in 54 years, 21 missions were built along the California coast. The last one was built in 1823 and all of them are generally near the 101 freeway. Yeah. The man... (laughs) 
Listen, but the man wouldn't have it. <laughs> Man's always got to keep us down. So the man put in charge of running the missions was a Franciscan priest named Junipero Serra. Uh, that's the last time I'm going to pronounce it correctly. As all the priests did, he saw the natives as poor and wretched, and he wanted to save them in the name of Jesus. So Serra headed to San Diego to set up the first mission, while Portola headed further north with another priest named Juan Crespi. And on August 2nd, 1769, Portola's party arrived at the L.A. River and camped at what is now the area where Broadway hits the river in Elysian Park. Oh, okay. And on their first day here, they had three earthquakes. <laughs> because Jesus was on their side, right? <laughs> it must be a sign that we should go. No. So after this, they headed west down what is now Wilshire, past the tar pits. On August 4th, <laughs> they they went to LACMA. On August 4th, they camped in what is now Westwood. Ugh. So... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> don't know why you don't like it. <laughs> so, nowhere to park. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> From here, they tried to go along the coast to head further north, but the cliffs of the Pacific Palisades were too much for them, so some of the natives suggested a trail that headed north more inland, which was the Sepulveda Pass. So once they got over the hill, they discovered the valley, and they stopped at a natural spring, which became known as Rancho Los Encinos. They called the whole area... Of the valley, El Valle de Santa Catalina de Bononia de los Encinos, a.k.a. St. Catherine of Bologna's Valley of the Live Oaks. <laughs> you mean they didn't name a Tarzan after Tarzan? <laughs> no, tar- well, Tarzan was a prehistoric man. <laughs> they thought, you know, let's give it to the Bolognis. No, come on. The Bolognis have gone through so much recently. <laughs> so the Tatavium, like you said, were living there and they called it Ashwa Komi Habit. You said it perfectly, probably, with probably as much not. confidence as I have. <laughs> so it's still there today. It's on Ventura Boulevard at the intersection with Balboa. That's Rancho Los Encinos. Mm-hmm. We're, there, we're there all the time. You'll find us there any day feeding ducks. Mean-ass ducks. <laughs> Those are the geese. The ducks didn't do anything wrong. They all want bread. <laughs> I don't have all the bread in the world. Do you think my pockets are full of bread? I got mints, too, you know. <laughs> I want crumbs, too. Pigeons get mints. Ducks get bread, and they got to learn the separation between the two. So they met another group of natives that were living around the springs, and they spent time together in peace. And Father Crespi saw this big area of land, and he wanted this to be the location of the first mission in the area. But the plans got delayed, and eventually the Portola expedition headed further north up Balboa. Okay. And they left the valley through the San Fernando Pass onto greater and more horrible things cholera so the area that was decided to be the site of la's first mission was san gabriel so mission san gabriel archangel named after the archangel gabriel who is the patron saint of broadcasters and diplomats was founded on september 8th 1771 under father Junipero Serra and the missionaries pedro benito cambon and angel fernandez somera y balbuena Balbunia. I'm loving all of this, by the way. All of that was part of his name. Oh, that was all part of his name. Yeah. Let's not forget Junipero or however you're going to say it. So they came as part of a party from San Diego. It was the fourth California mission, and the original location was near what is now Lincoln Avenue and San Gabriel Boulevard near the Whittier Narrows. Okay. It was an area that the natives called Shivangan. <laughs> Let's mark that as 12, because I was just so offensively said, because you had no confidence in it. Shivangan. So they were there, but by 1775, it was relocated to its current location, three miles northwest, to an area the natives called Lisanchanga. 
you did that in Chinese voice, and you know you did. I every I don't know, I don't know, I don't get who these people are. <laughs> I can't place them. Where are they from? So they called it Lisan Changa. <laughs> Today we call it 428 South Mission Drive <laughs> in San Gabriel. It's a beautiful language, English. <laughs> we just had to make it more accessible. How would a calculator say it? <laughs> Four two five. <laughs> but if you turn it upside down. <laughs> It says uh, <laughs> boobs. Boobs. It so, says menopause if you turn it upside down. <laughs> so I think they move because of flooding, but there's no record exactly of why. Now, how did the natives feel about these people setting up shop on their land? You I'm ask? curious. Tell me. When the San Gabriel people first arrived, supposedly the natives in the area were very hostile, but the missionaries showed them a painting of the Virgin Mary, and they were so taken by the beauty of it, they let them stay. That's the story that the church tells. Wow, that's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> that painting is now on display in the church at San Gabriel right next to the altar. Did you so, feel okay with letting them stay? I went in there I went in there with lighter fluid and a torch, and I was ready to burn it down, but I saw that painting. Anyway. <laughs> this episode is non-sponsored by the missions. This episode brought to you by Pope. <laughs> so the natives were pretty cooperative and they were willing to live alongside the Christians and they even helped them build the mission. The church at San Gabriel is the oldest stone brick and mortar building in Southern California. Mm-hmm. It was made between 1791 and 1805. It takes a long time for people to do things back then. It has a very Moorish look compared to all the other missions. The mission itself was a very is like fortress-like. It had five-foot-thick walls. Ooh. It was referred to as the queen of the missions or the pride of the missions. And at its prime, it covered several thousand acres of land. Its main bell weighs a ton, and it can be heard ringing up to eight miles away. Wow. So since it was located on such fertile ground, this mission accounted for a fourth of all the stock and grain wealth of all the California missions. Mm-hmm. California's first orange and tangerine trees were planted here. The San Gabriel mission introduced large-scale Viticulture, which is the study and growth of grapes to California. When the Spanish brought with them a grapevine from Spain that grew and grew until eventually the San Gabriel Mission became the largest winery in all of California. (laughs) It's this massive vine, and it's still there now, the same vine that they brought, and it's covered in bees. So they had... (laughs) They also had California's first instance of pest control in the form of a hole in one of the doors so that a cat could come in. That's pest control? It's the best they could have. That was the best fed cat in Southern California. (laughs) So many. That's another cartoon right there, too. The best fed cat in Southern California. I'm pretty sure that's a Speedy Gonzalez cartoon I've seen. (laughs) They have a mission. There's a cat there. Speedy wants cheese. And Slowpoke is there being just as offensive as he can be. (laughs) Being torn to pieces by the (laughs) Franciscan cat. The first large boat built entirely from native materials, the Guadalupe, was also built here. The anchor's still in the courtyard there. Their cemetery is the oldest cemetery in Los Angeles. The missionaries were also the first to bring palm trees to the area because they were very biblical and they liked that sort of thing. But I'm not sure which mission had them first. I'm sorry, I, I got lost because... I didn't know that's how palm trees came over. I thought it was a... It's not a native thing. I didn't think it was a native thing. I thought it was like a California in the 40s wanting to be Hawaii thing. (laughs) I guess not. No, it was California in the 1770s wanting to be Hawaii. So in 1776, the Dianza expedition stopped at the San Gabriel mission, which the mission seems to think is very important. (laughs) But what is important is that in 1781, a group of people known as the Pobladors left the San Gabriel mission and headed across the river to found the Pueblo de Los Angeles and start the city 
that we live in today. Oh, boy. So this was the cradle of Los Angeles as we know it, this mission. But who was living there and making it run? Well, other than some pious Spaniards, it was the Kitsch. And the native people in that area. But why would the kitsch, quiche, 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 quiche. <laughs> why would the quiche, kitsch, why would the kish? It was the first stroke recorded that long without <laughs> medical attention. But why would the quiche, a people who generally consider themselves to be powerful and happy, why would they willingly give up their well-established lives to completely join a new civilization? A lot of them didn't but a lot of them did. So the ones that did were drawn in by what the mission had to offer. They had nice utensils. They had exotic food. They had weird animals. They had different art than they had ever seen. They had music they had never heard. They promised to teach them how to make all these things and more for their own. All of these things, the Keech knew that they could use to their advantage to trade with other tribes and make their own lives better. Less subtle than that, the missionaries offered guns, swords, stronger spears, thicker armor, so they got the hint that they could either use these things for themselves or they could have them used against them by the Spanish. Wow. So in that way, the missionaries kind of intimidated them by kindness into joining (laughs) them. So Sarah's intention for the missions was to create a community where the Spanish and the natives would live together in harmony, but he saw a necessary part of that to be for all of the natives to convert to Christianity. (laughs) So the Franciscan brand of Christianity relies heavily on powerful and intimidating imagery as well as the things that they were preaching to the Keech and the salvation that they were promising. All that was very easy to get caught up in. So as a result of all this, people started moving into the missions in droves. Some of the chiefs were moving their entire villages to San Gabriel. In the first two years, there were only 73 Keech who were converted into neophytes, as they called them. In 1783, 638 converts. In 1790, they took in 1,040 converts. Their biggest year ever was 1870, when 1,701 Keech converted to Christianity. Sounds like a Jonestown. In a way. By 1834, the San Gabriel Mission had baptized 6,814 Keech. And if you were saying there were only about 10,000, maybe. That's kind of a lot. No numbers. I know a lot of zeros is something. So trade was good at the mission. Trade was good. And (laughs) yes, I don't know why you said that, but sure, it sure was. And on the surface, things seemed to be going very well. Around 1810, some of the neophytes were even living in homes similar to those that the Spanish settlers themselves lived in. But many of the Tongva... But many of the Keech were very skeptical of the Spanish promises that they would be able to retain their own cultures in addition to accepting the Christian culture. Living in a harmony with a superiority. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the problem? (laughs) They were skeptical about the Spanish promises that it became very clear very quickly that their skepticism was uh, (laughs) well-founded and resentment started to grow. The neophytes were not treated as equals. They were still seen as lesser souls by the missionaries, and they were treated accordingly. There was rape, there was thievery, there was abuse. They were made to do all the hard labor of building and making products like soap and leather and stuff like that, but they were paid very little, if at all. The daily life there was very rigid and scheduled, which Catholics love, but the natives (laughs) didn't. The bells in the churches would ring to signify to them all when it was time to wake up, when it was time to eat, when it was time to start their next job, like an elementary school. (laughs) So in essence, they were slaves, but not quite as cruelly as the African slaves in the South, but slavery is still slavery. (laughs) 
And the Keech, of course, they missed the freedom of their old lives. So the, the missionaries allowed the neophytes to travel around and visit other tribes that had not joined or Gentiles, as they called them. Uh-huh but only because they thought that was a good way to spread the word of their mission and to get new followers. But if you didn't come back from one of these trips, may their beloved God help you because the Spanish soldiers who were a constant presence at the mission would track you down, bring you back, chain you up, and severely flog you for for trying to escape. Um, Hey, but we love you. You're one of us, but don't go away. Seriously, it's uh, the, the whip's a heavy thing. I don't want to have to bring it out. <laughs> don't make me do that. I love you so much. Don't make me beat you. In addition, as we all know, the Spanish brought with the the Spanish were covered in germs. Let, <laughs> let, let's, let's not tiptoe around it. They brought with them a bunch of germs that the Keech weren't used to. So a large part of their numbers were obliterated by disease. For a while, there were almost as many Keech that were dying from disease as there were being converted at the missions. So in addition... There's a a revolving door. Yeah, into the afterlife. (laughs) So in addition, the livestock that the Spanish brought with them were destroying the wildlife that the Keech relied on for food. So a lot of people were starving to death as well. It resulted in something of an inadvertent genocide, if there is such a thing. So the, so the poor conditions that resulted among the Keech pushed even more into the mission just for safety and to have a chance of surviving in this newly uh, apocalyptic world <laughs> that they had created. So there was a lot of tension inside the mission, not only between the neophytes and the Spanish, but also between the Keech who came from different villages around LA that didn't quite get along. Yeah. The priests would usually maintain the peace among them in the mission, but the mission itself was being raided fairly regularly by the outside. In 1810, a Keech force of 800 warriors raided San Gabriel and made off with 3,000 sheep. <laughs> also, the Mojave from the Colorado River, who used to come to the area to trade, now they came to the area to raid. <laughs> raid was good. <laughs> <laughs> so they repeatedly attacked both the Keech villages and the missions. So they built walls around the missions to protect them, but that didn't stop them. Within the mission itself, there was a flare-up in 1785 when a neophyte named Nicholas Jose had to endure the combo of watching a Spanish soldier make a pass at his fiancée and not being able to do anything about that, and then being told that he was no longer free to do his native dances. So obviously, he wanted the fathers of the missions killed. (laughs) So he went to a 24-year-old holy woman from the Keech tribe named Toypurina for help. She was considered by many as a witch or a sorceress, so Jose went to her and asked her to put a death spell on them. And Toypurina was already enraged by how her people were being treated in the mission. She was also disgusted by how readily so many of her people had embraced the mission in the first place, so she agreed, and with Jose, she began to recruit some natives to attack the San Gabriel mission and start a rebellion. And on the night of October 25th, 1785, Toypurina, with an army of two chiefs and a dozen or so warriors, climbed the mission walls where Jose was waiting for them, and he led them into the Padre's bedroom. That's father. <laughs> Don't like Padre. <laughs> You have some serious Padre issues. (laughs) He was leading them to the bedroom, but when they walked in, the Padres already appeared to be dead. So they got in closer to see what was going on when one of the dead Padres jumped up and yelled, Santiago! (laughs) And then then Spanish soldiers (laughs) filled the room. Uh, What had happened was some soldiers had overheard their plans Uh, that Jose and Toyperina had made, and they used it against them. And they tricked them. So some of the rebels fled. The rest were put in jail. Their trial was January 3rd, 1786. 
The chiefs claimed that they had been tricked by the witch woman Toy Perina and that they really had nothing against the mission. And then when Toy Perina came in for questioning, supposedly she had her hands tied behind her back. She kicked over the chair that was given to her. She refused to sit down. And she went on to say how much she hated the Padres and, quote... The baseball team. <laughs> she was a huge Angels fan. <laughs> Actually, she didn't like Angels too much, if I'm reading this correctly. She sounds like a Dodger to me. A mission Dodger. Supposedly, the quote that she said was, I came to inspire the dirty cowards, meaning the Keech, to fight and not to quail at the sight of the Spanish sticks that spit fire and do not wretch at the evil smell of gun smoke and be done with you white invaders. So then Jose came in and confessed to planning the whole thing. <laughs> that was his, uh, his <laughs> closing speech. Act. I did it. <laughs> she convinced me with a gunpowder speech. It's really hard to find a woman innocent when they describe her as the witch woman. And bring in the witch woman. <laughs> The warriors were released after 20 lashings each to show them that Toy Perina's sorcery was powerless against the true faith, um, Christianity. Oh, the whip wasn't the truth faith? <laughs> it's the only faith they knew. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior, whip. <laughs> All hail Cato Nine Tails. <laughs> Jose and the two chiefs, they were sent to San Diego to await sentencing, but Toy Perina remained in jail at San Gabriel for over a year until March 8th, 1787, she was baptized by one of the Padres that she had tried to kill, and she was given the name Regina. <laughs> so I, I, it's not clear if she did this willingly or if it was forced on her. How, how could it be willingly? How could it be willingly? But, but listen to this. She had a Keech husband who refused to convert. So then what happened to Jose, he got exiled for six years to Monterey. The two chiefs were free to return to their villages, but they were being watched all the time from now on. But here's the weird thing that I'm confused about Toy Perina. Uh, you mean Regina? Reggie. Reggie. As she Reggie likes to go by. Go ahead. And she comes out of there with a beehive hairdo. <laughs> Smash potato time. Is Frankie Valley around yet? <laughs> Toy Perina, the church annulled her marriage, and then she was exiled to the mission in, Car in Carmel. Okay. Caramel. Caramel. <laughs> the caramel mission. <laughs> I got a caramel mission. So this is what confuses me. In 1789, she got remarried to a Spanish soldier, and then she had four kids, and she died 10 years later. And that, she, she's buried at the mission San Juan Batista. That, that, um... So I don't know, like, if you didn't it, do it willingly, why would you marry... It's not like they needed her permission for that. No. So they, well, they, I don't know. They didn't have any rights, maybe. <laughs> it doesn't sound like... You, you, change, you change my name to Regina. I got an idea. I'll marry that guy. Have a couple kids. Settle down. Settle down. <laughs> yeah, because I kept hearing about Toy Perina, like, oh, she's the revolutionary, but yeah. then... Uh, her story just kind of fizzles out and is a little, that, a little think, bit of a, a betrayal. <laughs> it could have been willingly after after uh, that big speech. I yeah, in the I Padre's know. But a year in prison <laughs> does a lot to somebody. <laughs> she wrote her book. She's she just came to her senses. That's really horrible. That that's the best way to kill a revolutionary is to make her seem like a like a housewife. Yeah, a yeah. housewife and also make her seem like a sorceress witch. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. <laughs> her message and her conviction just sort of fizzled out, but her legacy is still strong locally in LA. There's a Toy Purina monument at the Baldwin Park Metrolink stop at the Ramona Gardens Public Housing in Boyle Heights. There's a big mural of her. Yeah, she's like seen as something of a Joan of Arc now, although she did give in 
to mm. maybe she read of about Joan of Arc was like yeah no <laughs> I don't want to do <laughs> nah, that I, don't I like... could get burned at the stake or marry a nice Spaniard <laughs> it's got really nice hands so there was also just a play about her a couple months ago at the San Gabriel Mission Playhouse oh, so really? her uh, legacy is alive whatever her legacy is so after this whole incident there were crackdowns in the mission and there was more weariness about trusting the Keech as equals so all this was going on in San Gabriel Meanwhile, a little further north, Father Crespi's dream of a mission in the valley was realized. The Spanish wanted a way to recruit the natives that were living in the northern parts of L.A., the Tatavium and all Mm -hmm. them, and also a way to link between the Ventura mission and the San Gabriel mission. That's a lot of space between the two. There's, well, yeah. Yeah. So they decided on the northern part of the valley to build Mission San Fernando Rey de España on September 8th, 1797. It was the 17th of the 21 missions. It was founded by Father Fermin Lasuen, the successor to Father Serra, and the missionaries Francisco Dumetz and Juan Lope Cortez. It was originally lamed. It was, it was pretty lame. It was originally named La Misión del Señor Fernando, Rey de España, uh, the mission of Mr. Fernando, King of Spain. <laughs> Mr. Fernando and <laughs> There mission. was something in there. <laughs> And it was nicknamed the Mission of the Valley. It was named after King Ferdinand III of Spain. He was the patron saint of Spain, engineers, and of prisoners. Okay. So the land it was what built on... What do I on, get? Engineers, prisoners, whatever's left. Spain. Spain. <laughs> uh, the land it was built on was called Pashegna by the natives. Okay. We now call it 15151 San Fernando Mission Boulevard and Mission Hills. This is the only mission in the L.A. city limits as San Gabriel is part of L.A. County. That's right. So at the time it was going to be built, the mayor of the L.A. Pueblo, Francisco Reyes, was living on the land, but he either willingly gave it up or was forcibly evicted by the soldiers, depending on which story you believe. On the day of its opening, they celebrated by baptizing five kitsch boys and five kitsch girls. Reyes himself was the godfather to the first one baptized. Within the first two months at San Fernando, over 40 natives had joined. By 1804, there were almost a 1,000. So around this time, though, most of the native villages were dying out or had already joined San Gabriel or were working for the settlers on the private ranchos Mm -hmm. or at the Pueblo, so they weren't interested in the mission or they had just moved inland to escape it all. So by around 1810, San Fernando hit a rough spot because there was just not enough workers to get what they needed done. To make things worse, in 1812, a huge earthquake hit LA that did serious damage to both the missions. They managed to bounce back and they hit their peak in 1819. They had over 21,000 heads of livestock and they were covering 121,542 acres of land. To give you an idea, the entire valley is around 167,000 acres. So the valley was a mission. (laughs) They had bullfighting. Their olive trees were said to be the best in California. Their location was perfect because they were right on the main road that travelers had to take to get into the growing Los Angeles Pueblo. In 1822, the Convento building, which is the iconic like arched building that you see that's identified with that mission. Oh, okay, yeah. You've seen it? You yes. see it right uh, now? Yeah, I've seen it. I'm, I'm, I could see it in my head. I could draw it if you want me to. Please do. Okay. That's the sound of me drawing. With a whistle. <laughs> so it was finished after 12 years of construction. It was used as the Padres quarters and a guest house for travelers. It's the largest freestanding adobe structure in California and the largest original building still standing of any of the California missions. So this same year, a big shift happened in the land. 1822, Mexico won its independence from Spain and took possession of California. So now the Keech were no longer Spanish. 
They were Mexican. <laughs> Walking around handing out <laughs> cards and say, hey, uh, by the way, you're Mexican now. <laughs> Dropping flyers. Thanks for joining the winning team. <laughs> Put away the tapas, get a taco. <laughs> the Mexican government did not like the Franciscans, and they promised the Keech that they would get their land back that the Spanish had taken from them, and they would be allowed to govern themselves again. But these promises kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. These were the years when the missions were in their death throes. So there were more crackdowns on the natives. Anybody who wasn't converted was gone after. The attacks by the Mojave continued, and the Yokuts from the north of the state started to attack as well. More settlers started coming into the area, and the land was needed to accommodate all these people. So finally, the process of secularization to dismantle the missions began 10 years later than when they promised in 1834, and that process itself would take 10 years to complete. So what was worse, all the land that the Mexican government promised to give back to the Keech, they confiscated it and took it for themselves because the official... We're going to hold it for you. It's yours, but we're going to hold it for you. And you get no decision making on the matter. But it's yours though. The officials were so corrupt that they either offered the land at prices that the Keech couldn't afford or they just swindled them out of it and gave it to their friends and family. Governor Pio Pico gave the land of San Fernando to his brother and then he ended up using the mission itself as his headquarters. In 1846, Mission San Gabriel was so deeply in debt it was sold to two guys named Reed and Workman. (laughs) No first name. No paper signed. It's one guy, Reed and Workman. <laughs> oh yeah, Reed and. Once the missions were secularized, the land was given away, but the church got to keep the priest's quarters, the gardens, and the chapel. A little side note during all of this, on March 8th, 1842, gold particles were found in an onion patch in Placerita Canyon in San Clarita, which was part of the San Fernando mission. Uh, there wasn't much gold found, but it was California's first recorded gold strike. Oh boy. So this led to a mini gold rush where treasure seekers were ransacking the area trying to find gold for many years to come. They eventually tore up the floor of the church at the mission because they thought that the Padres were hoarding all the gold and hiding it in the floor of the chapel. Oh, it's only silver. (laughs) What are these, rubies? (laughs) Uh, While all this was happening to the missions, the Keech were basically forced to reassimilate into the new Mexican world. Mm -hmm. After having to be in the Spanish world, now they got to get used to Mexicans. Just the emphasis on that. I'm trying to get used to them, okay? (laughs) Many of them took jobs working in the growing city of Los Angeles or on the many ranches that were popping up. Many of them moved upstate towards Riverside, Bakersfield, or even Monterey. They were given some rights by the Mexican government, but they were still treated as second-class citizens, and they were routinely discriminated against and abused. Didn't take long for another huge shift to happen to the area when Mexico went to war with the United States. In 1847, American soldiers arrived at San Fernando, and in 1848, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was signed and made California a U.S. territory. Then Colonel John Charles Fremont made San Fernando his headquarters, and in 1850, <laughs> California just... officially became a United State. Happy birthday, California. Um, <laughs> it's just funny that these missions are like top bunk. No, I want top bunk. <laughs> Get out. I'm top bunk now. Oh, I got San Gabriel. <laughs> I guess it's okay. Better than the floor, but I don't know. So it was a United State. Then on May 31st, 1862, President Lincoln signed all the missions back into the possession of the Catholic Church, but they didn't seem to do much with them for a while. San Fernando became Lopez Station for the Butterfield Stage Lines from 1857 to 1861. By 1888, it was a warehouse for the Porter Land and Water Company, which is the same Porter of Porter Ranch. Oh, okay. And by 1896, it was a hog farm. (laughs) 
<laughs> the hog slept in the Padres' quarters. That's when uh, California went under the jurisdiction of hog. <laughs> J.B. Hoggington. Oink mix squiggles. <laughs> squiggles. Pigs don't have squiggles. Seeing it as a hog farm was too much for a certain Charles Fletcher Lummis. Oh. I don't know if that name rings a bell. It does. He was the city librarian who had walked from Ohio to L.A. on a dare. <laughs> And he started to campaign to save our missions. So he reprimanded the city saying, we shall deserve and shall have the contempt of all thoughtful people if we suffer our noble missions to fall. He didn't get too much done. (laughs) He was too busy trying to get nudie French novels allowed in the libraries. But the movement he set in motion, it ended up reopening San Fernando's church in 1923 under the tutelage of the Oblate Fathers. Eventually landed them a big grant from the Hearst Foundation in the 1940s to fully restore the San Fernando mission grounds. Uh, It was all a waste, though. Because in 1971, the Silmar earthquake completely destroyed the whole mission except for the Convento building. So what is now there, aside from the Convento, is just a replica of what it used to be. Really? San Fernando was visited by Pope John Paul III in 1987, but then it was hit by its third major earthquake in the 1994 Northridge earthquake and was shut down for a while again. So most of what is there now is a replica of a replica, except for... The hog statue. You could still smell the hog. You just can't get that smell out. The, the only thing that's original is the Convento, which has still stood in Brand Park, which is the little park across the street from San Fernando. Yeah. The original fountain of the mission is still there as well. San Fernando is now a fully functioning church. My sister was just part of a wedding there. Oh. So it's true. I have confirmation. <laughs> the Convento was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1988, and the mission as a whole was added in 1999. Buried in a special garden on the grounds of San Fernando is Bob Hope, for some reason that I still can't figure <laughs> out. A huge chunk of the mission is dedicated to Bob Hope now. That is there any explanation at all? He was actually Pope for a little bit. Pope Hope? <laughs> All hail Pope Hope. All hail Hope Pope. Have hope. Campaign. Popes don't campaign, but that campaign would have been a hope Pope. Have hope. Elect hope for Pope. It's no joke. <laughs> so buried in the public cemetery behind the mission are Clarence Ducky Nash, the voice of Donald Duck, the rifleman Chuck Connors, Ed Bagley Sr., Fred Mertz, a.k.a. William Frawley, and Richie Valens is there. The cemetery across the street also has Lenny Bruce and Groucho Marx, so go make a day of it and uh, disrespect the dead. Also buried in unmarked areas around the premises, 2,425 natives. Mass grave. Not a mass grave, just a scattered grave. (laughs) San Gabriel, though, has the bones of some 6,000 natives on its grounds. Hmm. Hmm. How'd they die? So San Gabriel was reinstituted as a church and went through various renovations over the years. In 1987, it was hit by a major earthquake and was closed until 1996. Like, take the hint. God wants us here. (laughs) This is good. So now San Gabriel is the mother church of the L.A. Archdiocese. Mommy church. Mama church. Mama church. Feeding all the other churches. So the mission look has had a huge influence on the architectural style that came to define L.A., the Spanish style, Mm -hmm. ranch style houses. But what happened to the quiche, you ask me? I'm I'm curious. I didn't finish my research. (laughs) Well, once they fell under the jurisdiction of the United States, the few rights that had been given to them by the Mexican government were promptly revoked 
and it was made explicitly clear that they were not citizens of the new country. So between 1845 and 1855, it's estimated that 100,000 natives in the whole country died from starvation, disease, and violence. I read that the state even reimbursed some groups if they went out killing natives. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's... That's the worst thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I tried to find a defense of that. (laughs) There is nothing. In 1850, the same year that California became a state, what was passed was an act for the government and protection of the Indians, which made it legal to arrest any native that was loitering or begging or buying liquor or being otherwise deemed immoral. Once convicted, the native in question then had to work for that guy that arrested him for a maximum of four months in indentured servitude. They couldn't even fight it because it was also illegal for a native to testify against a white person. (laughs) So a common thing that they would do, they'd go out on a Sunday night, arrest a bunch of natives that were drunk, take them to a corral behind Downey Block, which is the future first location of the L.A. Public Library, and then sell them in the morning. So, um, what? (laughs) They would sell humans for labor that they were forced to do. The natives were saying... Why is the world so sad? (laughs) A year of doing this. (laughs) I've never been more sad this year. (laughs) Oh, good people are treated awful. Uh, Anyways. (laughs) Not even... Just people are treated awful. Just people. There are no good people. Let's not forget that. (laughs) Natives were segregated the same as blacks and Asians. They could only live in certain area. They couldn't display their ethnicity. They were even called diggers by the Americans because they believed that they survived only on roots that they dug up. Okay. So before we jump to any conclusions about white people, Greg, (laughs) some of the worst abuse that the natives were getting came from Mexicans who themselves were being oppressed, and I guess they they needed a release for that. S-word rolls down a hill. It sure does, (laughs) S-word. Many Keech, they simply pretended to be Mexican just to avoid the abuse Uh and to try to get some basic human rights from the U.S. government. By 1900, very few people still identified themselves as Keech, and the common teaching was that they were extinct. And the people who were from that group were like, well, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm here, and uh, I count. So after World War One, however, the Keech culture started to make a resurgence. In 1919, the Mission Indian Federation was formed, and some of the Keech joined. In 1924, partly due to their service during the war, uh, Native Americans were made U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. In 1928, the Mission Indian Federation sued the U.S. for damages. In 1944, they won the case, but they weren't paid until 1950 in the form of $150 given to 36,000 qualifying natives. So that should just about cover it. Okay, yeah, that's... that's This this never happened. (laughs) Here's your trauma payment. What qualifying Native Americans is a weird statement. You qualify? Let's see all the paperwork. Okay, (laughs) everything's in order. What do you do with this peace pipe? (laughs) Uh, 13. Edited it out. What do you do with this piece? (laughs) What's it for? It's a water pipe. So the last born native Keech speaker, the last person from that tribe who spoke their native language died in the mid 70s. But there were records, like you said, of their language that were found. So it's slowly being reassembled. From what it seems, there are only around 1700 people out there that identify themselves as Keech. They have a tribal council. Their legacy still lives on and the names around town, like you said. A few other ones. Tahunga. Topanga. Oh, yeah. Keech. They were acknowledged by the state of California as a tribe in 1994. 
That's cool. But they are still not federally recognized as a native tribe, so they have no reservation. That's not They'll cool. never get a table. <laughs> 1994, like, that's a really long time. It, yeah, about 200 years. Yeah. So the missions, outposts of the Spanish Empire, though they were, ostensibly were meant to hold the land for the natives until they were deemed ready by the crown to run it for themselves, whenever that might have been. <laughs> and maybe they were intending to do that, but not everything that's done with the best intentions turns out very well. If you'll ask the Japanese people that lived in Los Angeles and were shut up in internment camps, they will tell you the same thing. So just go see the missions before another earthquake destroys them all. How do we sum that up? What do we say? (laughs) We're both just staring at each other with mouths agape at the horror of what we just told each other. Continued oppression through the centuries. Ethnic cleansing that kind of worked. What do you mean kind of worked? Oh, got rid of them? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. They almost destroyed a people. Like 70%. That's, um... And that's the roots of Los Angeles. <laughs> Proud to be an American. Or at least I know there's no natives. There's a long legacy of uh, Los Angeles trauma. Promises being made, and they're just like, nah, forget it. <laughs> Any other thoughts to sum it up? We're sorry for the 14 tally marks. <laughs> We're sorry for being offensive. On behalf of the Mexican and white people, we are sorry to Native Americans. Ally Meekly. The Spanish did it. (laughs) Wasn't us. Hands are clean. As you're ripping into your Thanksgiving turkey and guzzling down gizzards and smearing your cheeks with cranberries and pumpkin pie, just remember. Remember what you did. Maybe you'll throw that up. Remember that. Remember that the missions were once a hog farm. (laughs) If there's one thing to take away from all of this, remember anything could become a hog farm. (laughs) So write a living will. Again, as I feel like we always have to say, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at LA Meekly, Tumblr, things. Uh, Leave a review on iTunes. We've been getting some nice reviews, and it really helps, and it makes us feel good. Yeah. Really good. Well, our egos need that little flash of hope every once in a while. A flash in the pan is worth two in the iTunes review? Yeah, that's the phrase. We also have a nice Thanksgiving. This will probably come out after Thanksgiving, so... Have fun uh, dealing with what you did on that day. (laughs) Apologize to everybody that you uh, screamed at on Thanksgiving. Your family's not that bad. (laughs) Listen, the mashed potatoes could have been mashed here. We agree. Just apologize. Get it over with because Christmas is coming up and you want something. Be good because uh, nobody else in history is. (laughs) Be the first good person. If there's one thing we want for Christmas this year, it's, uh, I don't know, reparation. (laughs) Also, I don't really understand what Christmas is. To you, it's just somebody's birthday that you don't know. It's some guy that my friends really likes birthday. <laughs> and and they're all care. going to the party like, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't didn't get him anything. Invited. I wasn't invited. On moral grounds. So that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. One year. One, one year. One more year. One more year. Please. We'll see you next year. I mean, we'll be there about every month we'll until see next you year. 12 more times until next year. Yeah, but like, we'll see you next year as well. Terrible twos. We're in the terrible twos now. <laughs> we just so get do- ready. This show's about to get edgy. <laughs> Buckle up for the next episode. All about Los Angeles leather jackets. <laughs> sunset strip and I might strip. <laughs> Forget the sunset. Emphasis on the strip. <laughs> That's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. Mispronouncing native names since 2013. Sounded really good coming out of your mouth, loud and clear. I have another thing that's going to sound very good coming out of my mouth. (gasps) 